next up this month of July on a Vision for You Sunday special edition. Sunday, July 14th, Recovered Compulsive Overeater Big Book Teacher speaks on Step 2, Came to Believe, focusing in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous on Chapters 2, 3, and 4. Sunday, July 21st, A Vision for You Anniversary Special. Sunday, July 28th, a Recovered Compulsive Overeater Big Book and Alcoholics Anonymous 12 Steps and 12 Traditions Teacher presents on A Journey Through the Steps. That's what's up for you in the month of July. Mark your calendars. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, July 8th, 2013, and today we're reading from the big book. You'll find us on page 41, revisiting the first full paragraph, I went to my hotel. Today's readers are Judy B., Julie, Penny E., Fran, and Rebecca, and the share ID number for the special edition presented yesterday by Rick, share ID number 4761, 4761. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Lois to read the 12 steps. Good morning. This is Lois from Massachusetts. Uh, Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, came to, I'm sorry, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you very much, and I pass. I will now call on Irini to read the 12 traditions. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini, and I'm a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but not trusted servants. They do not govern. 
Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Least problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I thank you, and I pass. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we begin our study on page 41, that first full paragraph, I went to my hotel, Judy B. is going to refresh our memory on Fred's story, and our comments are going to be directed to that second paragraph on the bottom of page 41. And I'll ask Judy B. to begin reading, please. Good morning. This is Judy B., recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. I went to my hotel and leisurely dressed for dinner. As I crossed the threshold of the dining room, the thought came to mind that it would be nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. That was all. Nothing more. I ordered a cocktail and my meal. Then I ordered another cocktail. After dinner, I decided to take a walk. When I returned to the hotel, it struck me a highball would be fine before going to bed. So I stepped into the bar and had one. I remember having several more that night and plenty next morning. I have a shadowy recollection of being in an airplane bound for New York and of finding a friendly taxicab driver at the landing field instead of my wife. The driver escorted me about for several days. I know little of where I went or what I said and did. Then came the hospital with unbearable mental and physical suffering. As soon as I regained my ability to think... I went carefully over that evening in Washington. Not only had I been off guard, I had made no fight whatever against the first drink. This time I had not thought of the consequences at all. I had commenced to drink as carelessly as though the cocktails were ginger ale. I now remembered what my alcoholic friends had told me, how they prophesied that if I had an alcoholic mind, the time and place would come, I would drink again. They had said that though I did raise a defense, it would one day give way before some trivial reason for having a drink. 
Well, just that did happen and more. For what I had learned of alcoholism did not occur to me at all. I knew from that moment that I had an alcoholic mind. I saw that willpower and self-knowledge would not help in those strange mental blank spots. I had never been able to understand people who said that a problem had them hopelessly defeated. I knew then it was a crushing blow. And this describes the state of mind that uh, that he was in when he uh, chose to have a drink. And um, that state of mind is just uh, a degree of insanity that um, when we have an alcoholic or a an, an mind of an addict, uh, nothing nothing makes any difference. You know, we're we're unable we're unable to think clearly. We're unable to remember the uh, the consequences of what we've been through before. I mean, not only had I been off guard, I had made no fight whatever against the first drink. This time, I had not thought of the consequences at all. You know, with an alcoholic mind, we're not aware of the facts. We're unable to recall them and bring them up. Um, and that's why why going through these steps is so important because we have to change that that um, state of mind. We have to go through a psychic change so that we can think differently. He was he was really clear uh, the next day that he, he really came to understand and know that um, he had been hopeless, that, that uh, he was not able to bring up the, the reasons for his, his drinking. He he just couldn't think of it, and that that's what happens. That's why I'm so grateful when I, I think of, of the new mind that we can that we are given when we go through this psychic change because we are able we are able afterwards to 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 know that no amount of knowledge will, will help us. You know, that that state of, of being, that state of mind will get us into trouble every time and um oh it's just it's just a place that I am so grateful not to be right now and 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 I just know that it's possible for for everyone to to go through the steps and to, and to come to a new place where they can they can think more clearly and it doesn't mean that that um we'll never have a thought of of something that we shouldn't have but we now have the the ability to stop and to pause and, and, and to be in the present moment and to know that that's not the way we want to uh, behave. He, he said, I knew from that moment that I had an alcoholic mind, and that's what we have to know. You know, we have to know that that is the truth about us. And... Um, and always remember that um, just just one bite or just one slip, just one decision uh, to go back into the substance will, you know, it could change us forever. We just we need to have a clear mind so that we can can ask for help. And, oh boy, I had never been able to understand people who said that a problem had them hopelessly defeated. I certainly can understand that, and, and I know that it's true. And and at this time, he said, I, I knew then it was a crushing blow. And it it is when you realize that you just, you have insane thinking. And um, But once we come to know that, you know, we can, we can do something about it. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Judy B. And we are directing our comments to the second paragraph on page 41, the paragraph that begins, as soon as I regained my ability to think. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Yes, yes. I Lauren. Boston. I heard Katie. And, and Katie, go ahead. And, we'll, and Lauren, go ahead, Katie. Good morning. This is Katie from Boston. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Grateful to be on the line this morning and um, grateful to read this paragraph, particularly um, 
talking about the crushing blow of having an alcoholic mind, um, when I got to this part of the reading with my sponsor, um, I was several years into my abstinence, but I still didn't understand um, that I have an alcoholic mind and that the, just my defense for everything can't come from Katie. You know, self-reliance fails me. Self-knowledge fails me. Knowing that picking up that food is going to lead me into not being able to show up to work for relationships is going to put a huge stunt in my um, quarter life ability to move forward past college. You know, none of that knowledge, even though I sat for years and years of therapy and, and, and everything else, none of that was going to help me. Um, and it was a crushing blow to my ego that I could not manage on my own and um, that the time and place will come when I am unable to stay sober alone. And my sponsor said to me that, you know, my desperation is God's grace that I am vulnerable to eat even if I don't have the desire. I am powerless because I have an alcoholic mind. Um, and it was just um, leading up to these, you know, this part of the work and, and getting to this part of the work, it was, you know, my sponsor said to me, you know, I need, do I, am, am I identifying in? Do I have these mental blank spots where all of a sudden, you know, I can see in my past that I would, I would eat for absolutely no reason, for trivial reasons, um, making no fight and really not caring about the consequences because all I wanted was oblivion. Why? Because living in my head was such torture because being in my head with that constant narration of you're this, you're that, they're doing this, you're a victim, self-pity, self-hatred, selfishness, that was awful. And I needed um, a, a relief. I needed something. I had this alcoholic mind, and, and I didn't know how to handle it. Um, and that I may have a defense, but, you know, ultimately I'm going to pick up. And so getting it smashed home, having this crushing blow that self-knowledge was not going to fix me, that, you know, Katie, no matter what, even though she's super smart, right, cannot do this alone, that God is either everything or he is nothing. What is my choice to be? Um, and and it was it was really uh, when I got to this point in the work, you know, despite the fact that I'd had a few years of abstinence, it was like, holy smokes, I am truly devastated. And thank you, God. Because unless I'm devastated, I know I say this all the time, but I don't want to go through the work. Who wants to do a four-step inventory and make amends to 140 people, right? Like, who wants to do that? Who wants to take ownership of their life? But I'll tell you what, that is my freedom. My freedom today is that it, my defense for life, I don't need a defense because I have God today. You know, I have a relationship with God. So thank you for, you know, the writers that, that saw this who are teaching me what it means to have an alcoholic mind, what it means that I cannot do this alone and um, to have it smashed home to me so that I can move forward to have a psychic change sufficient to overcome my disease. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Lauren, please go ahead. Lauren, from... Pennsylvania, and I uh, I really liked this line. Um, well, he says, I now remembered what my friends, my alcoholic friends had told me, how they prophesied that if I had an alcoholic mind, the time and place would come, and that's what propels me, because right now I'm not fully recovered. I'm not fully recovered. I am going through my eighth step harm cards in my amends and I'm not fully recovered in my mind. Um, you know, all those promises, the ninth step haven't come true for me. I, I'm not through all 12 steps. You know, it's not, it's not a ninth step program. So what propels me is the fact that Lauren, uh, you will take another bite if you don't, if you don't get through this. I don't care if I have one day, eight months, 25 years of abstinence. It's all about my changing my mind. It's all about changing my mind, and um, the time and place will come for me. You know, people compliment me and say how far I've come, but really I'm not. It, it, it's For me, it's, it doesn't matter if I'm at step six, seven, eight, and nine. I, I want that mental change, which really doesn't come until I reach 
well, I, I guess ten, but but I'll see I'll just keep reading along the bid book and seeing where I fall um in the ninth step promises. And uh thanks for that, I'll pass. Thank you, Lauren. Anyone else like to comment on this second paragraph on page forty one? This is Amy. Amy, go ahead. Yes. Good morning. My name is Amy. I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. I, um, but what I had learned in alcoholism did not occur to me at all. I knew from that moment I had an alcoholic mind, and I saw that willpower and self-knowledge would help help in those strange mental blank spots further down. It was a crushing blow. I don't know about you all, but some of the, my scariest binges is where I wasn't thinking at all, just like this guy, not thinking at all. Not even a trivial excuse, just decided and went and had the drink. I remember being in front of the refrigerator five bites into the binge going, how the heck did I get here? After all that I knew in OA, after all I had been hurt after the meetings, after meetings, how is it that my self-knowledge and my willpower was not going to get it done? And finally, it was a a crushing blow. And we call it the gift of desperation to finally hit bottom, to finally surrender, to finally take step one, admitting that we were powerless over alcohol or food and that our lives had become unmanageable. If we turn to step one in the third paragraph, it says, but upon entering AA and OA, we soon take quite another view of this absolute humiliation. We perceive that only through utter defeat are we able to take our first steps towards liberation and strength. Our our admissions of personal powerlessness finally turn out to be the firm bedrock upon which happy and purposeful lives may be built. I had to admit personal powerlessness over this disease of compulsive overeating. I knew that my mind, my sick mind could not heal, or I had to know that my sick mind could not heal my sick mind, that I needed something greater than myself to help me to help me win over this disease. I put myself beyond human aid. I had come to a point where I wasn't even thinking. All the consequences to the contrary, I got to points where I was binging without even thinking, without any resolve, without any defense. We are without mental defense against the first bite. That's what I was dealing with up in my head in my two ears, trying to fight this disease with my mind and my will when I could not. And it was finally when I surrendered, when I was absolutely humiliated, when my ego was deflated and I was finally willing to be accountable to this program and those who had gone before to show me the way, to believe at least in how the program works, if not in a higher power, something outside of myself. It was a crushing blow for Fred, but it was the beginning. It was the firm bedrock upon which he built his program. It's what we do. It's how this program works. But it starts with step one. We have to admit that the game, the gig, it is up. We have to give it up. And then we have to be willing to move forward through these steps and believe in how this program works. Believe in those who have gone before. Believe there is a way to be recovered, that we have a way out. But it starts with step one. It starts with step one. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. Anyone else like to comment on this second paragraph on page 41? Can I share? There was someone before you, Bella. Who's that? Eileen. Eileen, go ahead, and then Bella. Thanks, Leah. This is Eileen, a food addict living the solution today. Um, This paragraph, both paragraphs were really important to me. Um, I basically... uh, not only uh, had been off guard, but the and and I hadn't thought of the consequences. That's the thing. I just picked up. I just wanted the bite for relief of my depression, for everything I was feeling, everything I had learned five years prior in program just went out my earlobes, and I just ate. And I didn't think about being holed up in my room with bags and boxes of everything that I hadn't eaten in the past five years. I didn't even consider that. And um, I was so, so, the depression, I never imagined my depression would lead to an attempt on my life. 
and and I I was that low, and uh, willpower and self knowledge aren't going to help me at all. Look, they didn't. They didn't. They got me into trouble. I just listened to my drug. The food was calling me. I was so despondent. I'm like, I I didn't know what to do. Did I think about making phone calls? No. Did I think about picking up literature? No. I just went out and ate. But you know what? I'm grateful for that experience today. I know what it's like to have relapsed. And I know for me, I never want to go there again. Um, and, and God, God uh, gave me another chance at life. My, I didn't lose my life. I recovered. And uh, I, I'm so very grateful. So this paragraph was very, very important to me. Um, I had never been able to understand people who said that a problem had been hopelessly defeated. I knew then it was a crushing blow. So um, with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you. And Bella, please. Good morning. This is Bella, an compulsive overeater from Brooklyn. Wow, thank you very much for for being in this program, and thank you, God, for being able to... Wow, I, I read this paragraph, and I see myself. It's like a mirror to myself. And I am saying, wow, he was in a hotel. He, wo- he was on the way to eat dinner. So why you are thinking about the cocktail? Why you are thinking about drinking? Just enjoy the dinner, enjoy yourself. And I am saying, well, I was in the same place. You know, every place that I went, either I went to a wedding or to a party, my compulsive mind was think about the food. Oh, what now they will serve? What you will like? What you are not allowed to eat? My my sickening mind was busy about the food, only the food. I didn't even let myself to enjoy the other things beside the food. I didn't even see other things, other enjoyment. And this is why I always wanted to be isolated because all the parties, all the, the my connection to people were all about food. And, you know, and now that I... Thank God, thank God I am in the program and I have the tools. I know that all about my my disease is to change the way of thinking, to change my mind. And yes, I cannot do it by myself. I cannot. And nothing to do with me. This is the way I was born. And I just ask God, please God, help me to find another way of thinking. So now when I, when I am going to a party or to a social event, please, God, help me to find other enjoyment beside the food, to, to be happy to be with people, to be happy to, to share my knowledge and my experience, to be happy to listen to other people's uh, way of thinking. And, you know, it's it's not it's not only the food, and yes, thank God I know that it's nothing to do with me. It's like my my mind, and I need to change my mind to be able to live to enjoy life. And thank you, God, that you know it's a miracle that I found the program, and you know it's one day at a time. Thank you for letting me share, and by this I will pass. Thank you so much, Bella. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I, too, wanted to hop in here and focus in on this statement in italics. Not only had I been off guard, I had made no fight, whatever, against the first drink. This time I had not thought of the consequences at all. Uh, that uh, those couple of lines remind me of the italics on page 24 at the top there where it says the fact is that most alcoholics, in this case Fred, for example, the fact is that Fred, for reasons yet obscure, has lost the power of choice 
in drink. Fred's so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. Fred is unable at certain times to bring into his consciousness with sufficient force, that means with adequate force, the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. Fred is without defense against the first drink, and I identify in with that. Because despite the consequences and despite the pain that I experienced, I couldn't remember the suffering of my compulsive overeating. I couldn't remember the humiliation. I couldn't remember the hours of discussion with my husband regarding the misery of my existence. I couldn't remember the divorce threats due to the result of my compulsive compulsive overeating. I couldn't remember the shame. I couldn't remember my tears from the night before. I couldn't remember the mental torture, the emotional turmoil that I was experiencing. I could not remember. The only thing that that my mind would focus in on is the sense of ease and comfort, which would come at once after taking a few bites. That's the mental obsession. That mental obsession kept giving me permission to pick up that first bite, and that was my real problem. And until I believed that I had that mental obsession, there was no real urgency for me to work the steps. It goes on to say here on page 42, I saw that willpower and self-knowledge would not help in those strange mental blank spots. You know, Hence, I needed to turn to outside help for a solution because this merciless obsession was beating me to a pulp. It was beating me to a pulp. Uh, you know, despite what I might sound like on this line, I'm not stupid. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm relatively bright. I have a good memory. And, uh, but when it came to this disease... Um, I could not remember the pain and suffering. Binge foods had burned me over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, and I knew that. (laughs) I knew that. And I am a highly determined, motivated individual. There are other aspects of my life. When I set a goal, I can achieve that goal. I plan out a strategy, and I achieve it. You know, I'm not, I'm not so stupid. I'm not the sharpest blade in the drawer, but, you know, I can get things done. But binge foods and compulsive overeating had burned me over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. But for some strange reason, left to my own devices and my own resources, I could not remember what compulsive overeating did to me. The only thing I could remember was what it was going to do for me. So what exactly was my problem? The big book tells me without pulling any punches in step one. The problem is that I was powerless over food and my life had become unmanageable. And understanding that and fully accepting that and conceding that was the first step in my recovery process. And it all boiled down to that one word, powerlessness. Lack of power was my dilemma. Lack of power was my dilemma. I had to find a power by which I could live, and it had to be a power greater than myself, and that is the whole purpose of studying these directions every morning. And it's my experience and thus my belief that the big book contains the best and most powerful directions for doing the steps quickly that gives us relief from this obsession that sends us back to the food that beckons us. And that is my experience. And with that, I pass. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph on the bottom of page 41? Hi, this is Esther, compulsive overeater. Kim and then Esther. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim J, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. You know, we often talk about all the promises that are laid within this book. And here's another one. Here's another one. It says, I now remember that my alcoholic friends had told me how they prophesied that if I had an alcoholic mind, the time and place would come that I would drink again. So that's, that's the promise. The promise is that we think that we can treat this twofold disease with just a food plan, with just being abstinent. 
they're prophesizing. They're promising that a place and time will come when they will drink again if we do not treat the alcoholic mind. It says here they said they had they they said that though I did raise a defense, it would one day give way before some trivial reason for having a drink. And what is those defenses? What is that human aid that we think will keep us safe? Well, maybe if I go to a meeting every single night, you know, maybe, maybe I, maybe if I get the right sponsor, maybe if I can implant a vision for you and a microchip in my head and pay it 24 hours a day, I will be okay. And those things are very beneficial, but they will not create the psychic change that is necessary to become recovered. Because that suspense must come from a higher power. Fred was a very smart guy. He understood he was an alcoholic, but understanding he was an alcoholic did not give him a defense when a trivial reason came up. So this is a promise. If we think that a food plan is going to keep us safe, if we think abstinence only is the answer to our problem, we are destined to eat again. We are destined to eat again. And that last line, I had never been able to understand people who said that a problem had them hopelessly, hopelessly defeated. I knew then it was a crushing blow. Yay! Yay! That is step one. That is the posture of step one. Oh, crap, I'm screwed. Now we can move forward. Now we can move forward. But until we understand to the depths of our soul, fully conceding, that we have an allergy of the body which will never go away, and we have an obsession of the mind that will guarantee that we will go back to the food if not treated. That is untreated alcoholism. That is untreated compulsive overeating. That restlessness, that irritability, that discontentment, being at the will of that alcoholic mind. So at this point, it's a crushing blow. He's hopelessly defeated. This is the time. This is the opportunity Fred has to recover. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Esther, please. Hi, good morning. This is Esther, compulsive overeater in Pennsylvania. Um, When I read this paragraph, um, this gentleman is just trying to live his life. um, And he's going along like the rest of us do. I mean, we would, and it's, it's so innocent. It starts out so innocent. And what I hear, what I feel from this paragraph is a feeling of, what I get out of it is a feeling of entitlement. I deserve, I deserve this extra. I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. Um, but what we, what we real, and I don't know, you know, my alcohol, my diseased mind tells me I deserve. That's 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 what's coming out of these pages. That's what's, but what we deserve is we deserve we deserve something else. It's our diseased mind that tells us that we deserve the uh, that what, what what we crave and what we crave is not good for us. It's it's poison. It's not it's. It's definitely not what what we need. It's it's our alcoholic mind tell us that we deserve and um and we have to we have to know that our higher power we have to trust that our higher power knows what's better for us and we have to surrender to know that we we deserve good things in life and um, this is not one of them that our uh the craving the craving is not an entitlement and with that I pass. Thank you, Esther. Let's move on to the next paragraph now with Julie, please. Hi, this is Julia Recovered Compulsive Overeater in California. Two of the members of Alcoholics Anonymous came to see me. They grinned, which I didn't like so much and then asked me if I thought myself alcoholic and if I were really licked this time. I had to concede both propositions. They piled on me heaps of evidence to the effect that an alcoholic mentality such as I had exhibited in Washington was a hopeless condition. 
They cited cases out of their own experience by the dozen. This process snuffed out that last flicker of conviction that I could do the job myself. Um, again, I'm Julie R. from California, and I have so many notes on on this page because um, my sponsor had asked me to really dissect this. Um, you know, first of all, I had to think, well, what were the two conditions, uh, you know, that if I thought myself a compulsive overeater and if I was really licked, you know, I had been in and out of the room so many years and had gotten abstinent, but that was about it. Um, and I think what really got me is I have these notes here where it talks about the hopeless condition. You know, what is hopeless? Well, it's, it's incurable. There's no hope. It's despair. And um, condition is a state of health. And, you know, I when I was ready, I got to see that the way that I lived with food, I eat how I felt after, before, during, you know, that whole cycle, that was not normal. Uh, that was not even close to, to someone who lived a life uh, free from bondage. Uh, and I was looking in the big book. Uh, I did a search, and I think Hopeless shows up 15 times in the first 164 pages. But the word recover shows up 57. And it's kind of the opposite of this hopeless condition. And, you know, for me, I had to really, really, really hit bottom more than once. You know, yeah, the weight gain is one one act of it, but just how I was living my life, when I would continually go and eat to the point where I couldn't physically move, I was so sick, and to swear it off and then to go do it again the next day without even a thought like it talks about before. I mean, I was determined. I was going to have abstinence no matter what. And I'd walk by something at work, somebody's desk, and before I even knew it, I had had a handful of whatever. And it was like, oh, my God, how did this happen? And then tomorrow would be better, but then I might as well just eat the rest of the day because I already blew it. I mean, that is not normal. Let me eat so I can gain maybe two more pounds so then I can start to try to lose it the next day. Um, so, yeah, you know, I am am that hopeless condition. I am that hopeless variety. Um, I will never get better. I can stay in... Um, a recovered state on a daily basis. So I am just excited that there were other people like me and that when I finally read this book, that it finally had Julie in every paragraph, every line. Yeah, that's Julie. You know, I was really looked this last time when I came in November. Um, I had been, um, had never really been recovered, so if I really wasn't in a relapse. I had just never recovered. I had gained a lot of my weight back. I was miserable. Um, and now it's like I get to wake up every morning and say, okay, you know, maybe I could be of service to somebody. Maybe I could be a little more loving and caring to my husband and to my children. And it's a result of me really seeing who I was and what I have and what I need to do. So thank you, and I will pass. Thank you, Julie. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Janice. Janice, Monica. your turn. And then Monica. Good morning. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. So two of the members of Alcoholics Anonymous came to see me. You know, two came to see me. Another part of that 12-step call. You know, here he is, licked desperately in that place once again, where self-will, self-determination self-sufficiency had failed him utterly, had failed him utterly, you know. But why were they grinning? They grinned, which he said he didn't like so much. You know, I think for me, that grin says, here is the place, here is the tipping point, here is the turning point. Here is the place where you either grab hold and work these steps as if your life depends on it, or you don't. And when you get to that point of desperation, like he was right here in this paragraph, then there is hope. Then there is hope. Because they had said to him, they had told him that although he might be up against the disease once again and he might raise a defense, 
that it was going to give way. Well, what was that defense that he was trying to raise against this disease? It was his thinking. It was his thinking. And his thinking was going to give way. His thinking was going to give way to one more, what seemed like a trivial excuse. And I don't know about you, but I had to get to that point where it was no longer I couldn't blame the circumstances or the situations or the people or the place that I was in. It was my thinking. And you know that scared me. Scared me half to death. Because if you couldn't depend on your thinking, what did you have to depend on? Well, they were going to tell us right here, right now. They piled on heaps of evidence about their own thinking and about the thinking of an alcoholic mentality and that it was a hopeless condition, this thinking. And it was my thinking that made me suffer and it was my thinking that I was powerless against. But what was going to happen to me was going to be something I could not imagine. That there was going to be a power greater than myself that I was going to find that power, that lack of power that had always been my dilemma, there was going to be a power. And I was going to be able to access that power and it was going to transform my thinking. You know, thank God for the people who have walked before us. Thank God for the people in whom the problem had been solved. Because they could cite cases out of their own experience by the dozen, it says. By the dozen. And then I realized I was not alone. And then I realized that these people, too, had had my problem. They had the minds of chronic alcoholics. They had the mind of chronic compulsive overeaters. And yet there they stood transformed. There they stood in the place I so wanted to be. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. And Monica, please. Thank you, Leah. This is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And ditto, ditto to everything that Janice just said. So here's Fred here. And in the paragraph before, he's finally come to the understanding of what the alcoholic mind is. And he's realized that it's a he, where it, his alcoholic mind is telling him lies that he believes all the time. And the other thing is he has no memory when it comes to the last binge, the last spree of what happens to him when he picks up that first drink. Now, he, so at that, he, he, he knew, he knew. So he saw and he understood and he started identifying there. And now these two members of Alcoholics Anonymous come to see him. They grinned, and I always laugh when I see this, you know, boy, you know, there he is laying there. He's not any too pleased. It's a crushing blow here that's come to him. That darn if he isn't an alcoholic. And these two baboons are standing there grinning at him. <laughs> well, you know why they're grinning? They understand. They have been there. And they asked him if he thought himself really licked this time. And I had to concede both propositions. And this is what I had to understand, to come to understand, that I was powerless and my life was unmanageable. And I never liked that word unmanageable. I did that just that sort of irked me. No, I, everything, yeah. But unmanageable. The unmanageability of our disease is this. It's the obsession of the mind. The twofold part of, you know, the, the greater aspect, the obsession of the mind that tells me a lie that I'm going to believe every single time. And if I don't believe the lie, well, then the other part's going to come in and I'm not going to remember what happens if I pick up. This is a total unmanageability of my disease. I am a pickle. And I will never be a cucumber again. So these two guys are coming in here. Now he's realizing he's a pickle. They don't like that idea very well. And they go on and they piled heaps. They piled on me heaps of evidence to the effect that an alcoholic mentality such as I had exhibited in Washington was a hopeless condition. And so they're 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 pounding some more here, you know. 
we keep thinking, well, maybe, maybe one more time I'll be able to do it myself. And they're crushing it here. No, you will not. And this is part of the unmanageability. And this is where I am totally powerless. But these guys are grinning. They're happy. There is a way out of this. And they will and this book is going to show me how to do that. It's called the steps. And you know what? It's not so bad being a pickle. There's a way out of it. Thank you. I pass. Thanks, Monica. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Patricia Masha. Yes. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, I just want to, sh- this is Patricia from North Carolina. I'm co- grateful we covered compulsive overeater. And I just want to share on that I thought, this process snuffed out the last flicker of conviction that I could do the job myself. See, I believed in for years that me and God could do this. Me and God could do this. God could help me. He he will help me. I don't need to go to those meetings. I don't need anybody else but God. God is big enough. And I fought and I fought and I fought this disease. I kept I would cry out to God. I would cry out to God. He would relieve the obsession. The obsession would go for a day or two. Or I would stay on a diet for I don't know, a month or two, whatever. But it would keep coming back. And it would keep coming back. And when it got really, really bad again, I would cry out to God again and cry out to God, What is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? And he would lift it again. He kept pointing me to the OA meetings. He kept pointing the way, but I just refused to listen because I wanted to do the job myself. I didn't want to humble myself. I didn't want to humble and say I needed people. I didn't want to need anybody. I just wanted God, and that was all. And until he, until he actually, I don't know, I, and I know some people might think this strange, but in my spirit... The last time in November when I cried out this very same thing, when I got on this meeting, Vision for You, and I heard and I said, oh, my goodness, here it is. And then I went out to my garden and I prayed again. It's like, God, you know, no, I don't need those meetings. I mean, I still was fighting it. And it was like, no, I don't need those meetings. I just need you. You're big enough. And in my spirit, he spoke, I am those meetings. And and so and he and then it was like get into the deep, get into the deep. So now I understand that if I don't work with uh, with others in this program, if I don't get myself to meetings, if I don't do the deal and study this book and understand my disease and do these steps every day, every minute of the day, not just every day, not just pray it and in the morning and walk away. No, no, no. I need to do this, think this, eat this, everything digest this, everything, all the time, or else I will be in my disease. But you know what? I have realized that this is freedom. Doing these steps and living my life God's way, (laughs) that's what it's all about, God's way, I am free. I'm free from this. I don't have the crazy thinking and all this mess going on that I've had for the past, I don't know, I'd say 50 years at least, you know, so, you know, this I don't have to do the job myself anymore. I have you all to do it and all these other face-to-face meetings that I go to. You know, it's just so cool to have, you know, the separate entity that we're all like really special people, you know, and we have this illness, but we're all together and we have a solution, which is God. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, my name is Leah. I wanted to just comment on this as well. It says, two of the members of Alcoholics Anonymous came to see me. They grinned, which I didn't like so much, <laughs> and then asked me if I thought myself alcoholic and if I were really licked this time. Um, you know, I'll tell you, the worst it got for me, the worst it got for me, I was nearly 100 pounds overweight. Um, I had numerous medical consequences. I was experiencing um, great isolation, deep depression, suicidal thinking. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Um, I had been pummeled. 
Um, you know, when they say here two of the members of Alcoholics Anonymous came to see me, they grinned. Um, you know, one compulsive overeating talking to another compulsive overeater, we have the opportunity to rise out of a seemingly hopeless mind and body. When I sat across the table from someone in whom the problem had been solved, I left that discussion with something I came in without. And that was hope. I left with some hope. I left with some possibility that I did no longer need to live in the madness and the mayhem of this illness. You know, this illness had stripped me of self-worth. It had stripped me of dignity, of decency, of integrity, honesty, pride, a long list. And that had happened long before I got to you. Long before I got to you, I had been stripped of all of that. Uh, food had become, uh, you know, my primary relationship all those years had been with food. It was my friend. It was my comfort. It was also my nemesis and my destroyer. My disease had done its job. It had beat me into a state of reasonableness. So when I sat across from someone who told me that these pages could help me establish a relationship with God, uh, that would solve my problem, solve my problem, uh, that was a message of hope. And indeed, that's exactly what happened. I engaged in this process of the steps, and having had a spiritual awakening, and having been restored to sanity, and having soundness of mind, and having been relieved of this merciless obsession, I was freed from the beast. And finally, after almost two decades of mayhem, I began to walk the planet a free woman. And with that, I pass. Anyone else like to offer a comment before we wrap up this morning? Yes, it's Esther. Hey, Esther, go ahead. Hey, Marie. Hi, good morning. Uh, this is Esther, compulsive overeater, and just wanted to comment on the fellowship. It says two members of the Alcoholics Anonymous came to see me. Is it where else would you find something like that? The the support, the uh, this this guy, you know, here here he is. And two members of the Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, they come to see him. I mean, that is really, where else do you find a fellowship that would, that would bother with this person? Um, and not, not only were they not critical, but they were helpful, and they came loaded with information. Um, the support is, is, is amazing. It's just amazing. Where else would you find um, such a wonderful, uh, you know, support? And there have been times where um, I've made announcements. I was going to an affair, a wedding, and I actually made announcements that I'm going to a wedding. And if anybody else is going to be there, please come and see me. And um, it's it's a great feeling when you go to when you go to a um, an affair and, um, you know, you go to a wedding and someone else from the fellowship is there. It's the, it's the most wonderful feeling. It's a feeling of I'm going to be okay. And, um, I, I invite everyone to, to that experience. Um, it's just a feeling of elation that, you know, you're not alone when you see someone else there who, um, who was just like you, uh, and uh, with that, I pass. Thank you very much, and thank you to everyone this morning who has shared on our Big Book study. We will now close with the reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Penny E., would you please read A Vision for You? Yes, thank you, Leah. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. 
abandon yourself to God as you understand God, admit your faults to him and to your fellows, clear away the wreckage of your past, give freely of what you find, and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.